Hi everybody, Ethan here, and this is a special bonus episode with Tom Jennings. He called in to talk about his new documentary, Apollo Missions to the Moon. Now, Tom is an Emmy and Peabody award-winning filmmaker, and this documentary is absolutely unbelievable. I just watched it, I absolutely loved it, and think you will too, so check it out. It just came out on Nat Geo, and uh, don't worry, tomorrow we will continue with a full regular episode of Bad Science. All right, for now, here's my interview with Tom, who was absolutely delightful. Enjoy. Hi, it's Tom. Hi, Tom. This is Ethan from Bad Science. Hey, how are you? I am good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How's this line for you? I think this line is good, and, uh, you know, if it's not, I'll just have a robot read everything you say. (laughs) Wouldn't be the first time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I don't know uh, exactly how much time you have, but I I have a lot. I just finished watching Missions to the Moon, the Apollo documentary, and it was absolutely phenomenal. So good. Thank you. So I just wanted to know if I if I can ask how you got your fascination. Where did it start for you? Um, so I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, in Cleveland, uh, the, uh, um, the Apollo program was big news. And one reason it was big news is because one of the astronauts, Jim Lovell, was from Cleveland. Ah, kind of and, the astronaut, almost. <laughs> yeah, for a while. He was one of the main guys in Apollo 8. And then again in Apollo 13. Right. And what I remember, people ask if I remember 11, and I, I don't remember 11 as much as I remember 8, mm-hmm. and uh, which was only a few months earlier. Right. But I remember 8 specifically because uh, it was Jim Lovell. It was, you know, so go Cleveland. And... Um, I was six or seven, and I was—I had walked to the store on Christmas Eve, 1968, just like two blocks from my house. When you, a little boy could walk to the store, that's what you did. Yeah. And I was walking home, and it was—I remember it being bitter cold out, and kind of crunching through the snow, you know, frozen snow on the sidewalk in Cleveland, and and I was looking up at the moon. It was already out, and it was. I just even before I started doing this film, I this is one of the most clear childhood memories I have. And I remember looking up at the moon, and then looking down my street to where my house was, thinking, "I've got to get to my house and sit in my living room with my family." And then looking back up so that I can watch guys who are up there <laughs> be beamed down to my living room <laughs> and. How this is even possible, I don't know. And I just had this momentary sense of like magic and wonder. Yeah. You know, which they're so fleeting in life to begin with. And obviously, you get, there's more opportunities for them when you're young and and naive and impressionable. Sure. But I can still remember, I I could go to the spot where I had that sensation to this day. I can walk. I can, uh, I go back to Cleveland sometimes and I did, you know, drive around the old neighborhood and I probably drove around the old neighborhood, you know, a couple of years ago and I thought of Apollo 8. I was like, oh yeah, that's where that Apollo 8 moment of joy overcame me. And uh, I can literally still go to the spot on the block where it hit me. And it was, it was profound and it is to this day. I mean, this, this sense of, uh, 
how is this even possible? But uh, we live in a world in which it is. So that's where the fascination with it started for me yeah. was when I was a little kid in Cleveland. Well, Cleveland rocks, and obviously we all know that because of the <laughs> Drew Carey show. Um, of course. Of course. Uh, but I think some of this fascination had to come with seeing the NASA footage, which apparently was shot by Stanley Kubrick, because I don't know, in your in your film here, you, you only use old footage, remastered uh, old footage. There's no, no, like, new stuff, talking heads, narration. It's all just, like, old reports, old news stories. Um, so why did it, I, I mean, I, I came to the realization of, like, are there professional cameramen that were hired by NASA? Was it the government? Was it the news organizations? How how did they get all of this footage to look so great? Oh, the footage looks great. Uh, well, a lot of it's shot on film. So start there. You know, film footage is uh, so much richer than the video that they were uh, transferring to at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the news organizations were still using film. NASA used a lot of film, 16 millimeter, 35 millimeter. There's even the 70 millimeter that was recently discovered at the National Archives. And was NASA so, was NASA putting guys, uh, you know, cinematographers on the payroll all the time? Because it seems like the access is unlimited. Yeah, they they I did, the way I understand it is they had like, you know, they're they're kind of staff photographers. Okay. You know, they had people who were there just to document what was going on. Uh, that's how I, you know, that uh, a lot of government agencies, like you know, even the military, for example, the Marines and the Army, they have divisions called combat camera, mm. and uh, they're there just to take pictures of whatever is going on, usually for wow. publicity reasons. Uh, but NASA, in this case, was trying to document every step of the way. Uh, what they were doing, and they used pretty good cameras, and uh, and they had people that they uh, knew, uh, that was their sole job was I mean, to it's... document what was happening in mission control and the training, and so our job was to try and find the best images possible and go through them and uh, and uh, create a story out of it, which is as you can imagine very difficult to do fifty years after the fact. I'm sure it's difficult for many reasons. I mean, I have no idea how much footage you had to look through. Um, Florida, I'm from Florida. It gets made fun of a lot as a state. And there was a lot of great Florida stuff in this documentary that I thought made us look prestigious. Uh, Cape Canaveral obviously being the, the center of it. So would you say because of the space program that Florida is the best state in your opinion? Well, I think parts of Florida are fantastic. I mean, uh, you know, I I particularly loved finding the footage out of Cocoa Beach, Florida. Yep, that was uh, awesome. One reason we one one reason we use that footage is because you know people associate the entire space space program and media with people like Walter Cronkite. Yep, and Walter Cronkite became a voice of the generation of Apollo. Mm-hmm. And the first thing we would do when we would gather information, footage from CBS News, for example, we would lay down all the Walter Cronkite we thought would fit, and then we'd throw out as much as we possibly could mm-hmm. so that we could go to places like Cocoa Beach, Florida, and the local reporters there, because there's something very unique about reporters on the ground yep. uh, as compared to news anchors in New York City. 
I mean, great move, <laughs> great call. I loved that stuff. Anytime you went to local reporters or there was a, I forget her name now, and of course it's, it's terrible of me, but there's a there's a female astronaut that you do kind of like a little mini bio on, and uh, or not astronaut, like a uh, she worked in the control center, and I I absolutely adored. It. I thought that was that was so smart. Yeah, that woman's name is Poppy Northcutt. <laughs> yes, she was that's a, right. Uh, she was a return. Uh, engineer specialist in, in that she was part of the team that would decide or, or figure out when the rockets should be fired on uh, the capsules to return to Earth safely. That was her thing. Yeah. And she gave that very wonderful response to the journalist who was talking to her at the time uh, who said, what's it like to be a, a woman working in uh, with you know all these men? And her response was, uh, well, actually, I work with uh, all computers and machines, you know, which is a perfect response for that time. Yep. Perfect response for today. And one other thing, I got to meet Poppy North about two months ago after Whoa. we had finished this film. Okay. And she's very much the same. Wow. And uh, she said something to me uh, that was, a, a prof- she told a lot of great stories on top of what we already had heard from her interview and reviewing all the footage. And she had said that uh, when uh, the Apollo program ended, uh, uh, as we show in the film, uh, you know, the spokesman for NASA is very upset. You know, he's very sad because it's the end of the, the line and they're not going back and they all know it. And Poppy said to me that uh, it was, uh, you know, it, dis- it did a disservice to how far they had come uh, by Apollo 17, she said, if we had kept going with deep space exploration, she told me this very recently, if we had kept going, we would have had people on Mars 30 years ago. Wow. And here we are talking today about let's get to Mars, let's get to Mars. We can't even get back to the moon. And Poppy said everything was in place for deep space exploration. We would have been on Mars 30 years ago, and then who knows where we would have been today. Wow. But we lost the will to keep going. And do you and think that was oh, a go. profound moment for me to hear that from somebody who's in our film mm-hmm. and was doing this 50 years ago uh, to know that, uh, you know, what was lost. Do you, do you think that we as a nation just ran out of gas on the topic like we just okay now we were entertained by it for a bit and we have you know maybe a, a, our attention span got shorter and we got distracted by other things and because of that being less of a I don't know priority in our culture that NASA lost funding yeah I think it was political will I think a lot of people were looking at it and we, we mentioned this in the film too where you know men on the street interviews are saying you know what what are we spending all this money going to the moon? Uh, the, I think the nation and the world, you know, fell in love with the notion of getting to the moon. But once we got there and kept going back, people didn't realize, they didn't understand why are we going back, even though that that's where the true science was beginning. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just the fact of making the journey and returning. Now they had to, like, do more with it. And uh, in some ways, it just wasn't as attractive to a general audience, because once you've done it, you know, and we even have reporters saying that in the film where, you know, the NASA people are looking around 
gee, we had a packed house here for Apollo 11, and now no one's here. Where's the coverage? Yeah. And they, um, uh, so I, I, I think people couldn't see past the, uh, the fact that just getting to the moon was the beginning. They thought that was the goal, and once the goal was reached, why do we have to keep going? But by doing that and going to a space shuttle program and the International Space Station program, uh, we started looking back down at Earth, and we stopped looking beyond the heavens, mm-hmm. and uh, everything that had been put in motion with these big Saturn V rockets and deep space exploration, it went away because the political will, you know, the public wasn't into it, and the political will faded because of that. And you know, when that fades, the funding fades, and so it, it led to our you know, space shuttle program, which has done wonderful things. But it also put the uh, complete brakes on going past the moon. So if I'm reading in between the lines here, what you're saying is that there should be a government mandated one out of every eight films that come out in theaters needs to be a science documentary. No, I think people need to have a better understanding of what the the science is and what we're hoping to do. I was talking to some astronauts the other day who watched our film and really enjoyed it, guys that have flown in the space shuttle. And, um, you know, they said that people need to, you know, understand what can possibly be accomplished by studying space, by going back into space, by pushing who we are as a people. And uh, he said, "You want to? You want an immediate benefit of what space travel, uh, even uh, even Earth atmosphere space travel, uh, uh, where we could be in the next ten years?" He said, uh, "Get on a plane at LAX, and uh, sixty minutes later, you're landing at Heathrow in London. That's what space travel is going to get you. And you know, if you've done that twelve-hour flight enough times, uh, suddenly that makes complete sense to uh, people on the planet." Like, gee, we can uh, close the gap even more. Uh, whether or not that requires science-based films every uh, eighth uh, release in movie theaters, that's a, uh, I don't know if that's what does it, but I think people need to be curious about what's possible. I just think that would, yeah, encourage more people to get into it. I mean, you know, they've maybe they saw the Avengers and they saw uh, Men in Black or whatnot, and they're like, well, what else is there? <laughs> Might as well check this thing out about climate change or about space travel. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, also, I think that'd be a rough takeoff and landing, though, if you were going <laughs> up and down every time, no? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not an engineer, but, it, it, you know, just the notion of it sounds uh, wonderful to me. Yeah. I Okay, I have, an, I have another idea uh, about how to get people back into the space program. I want to run it by you. So the Russians were the first into space and they got Mm -hmm. dirt off the moon first. And it seems like we were very upset and we were very embarrassed. And that helped this like race, right? Yeah. I mean, it was a very much like we we need to win because the Cold War was going on. And, you know, on top of it, they were our arch enemies. And uh, the space race was, uh, you know, Burst out of the cold, uh, out of the cold war at the time. Right. So you know we're having uh, problems with Russia right now. Maybe if somebody over there can get to Mars or get some dirt off Mars, we could see another <laughs> ten years of funded American space travel. 
I mean, because, you know, we have the International Space Station, and that's a, a group effort, you know, between the United States and uh, uh, Russia and uh, I think Japan and Canada. Uh, some of the astronauts I've talked to said, you know, the space station is one place where the politics doesn't get in the way of science. Yeah. So, uh, you know, maybe we need to find a, a different adversary to, uh, uh, to, to race to Mars. Yeah, people like um, drama, Tom. I'm sure you know this more than anybody. So the, the ISS should be a secret. We need to work together <laughs> undercover. And, you know, in public, it has to be like, a, like wrestling. You know, we need to insult each other and we need to make it dramatic. <laughs> and then people will be like, go America, like the World Cup. Yeah, well, maybe that's uh, what the, the Space Force will do for us. Yeah, we'll finally get to, yeah, have wars <laughs> in space. Um, well, listen, Tom, uh, thank you for spending the time talking to me and answering my silly questions. And I hope that if you're ever in Los Angeles and want to come on the show, then uh, that would be great. I would be honored. Oh, well, thank Actually, we're based in Calabasas. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. Okay. I've lived here since, uh, since 1988. That's my. That's when I was born. <laughs> well, well, let me know when it's coming out, and um, if there's anything you need, uh, give a call back, or you can send me an email. Yes, I will definitely bother you uh, until you tell me to stop. Okay. Good. Uh, thanks a lot, Tom. Really appreciate it. Uh, all right. Thanks. Have a good afternoon. Okay, that's it for the bonus set. Another special thanks to Tom Jennings, who really was a delight, and I'm glad that he called in. And uh, make sure you watch Apollo Missions to the Moon, of course, on Nat Geo. It's fantastic. And I will see you tomorrow for a regular episode of Bad Science. Bye-bye.